A study in the Journal of Translational Psychiatry reports that 36% of teen girls in America are depressed or have had a recent major depressive episode. For teen boys, the number is slightly less than that. This week, uh, Shannon on her Facebook page, Shannon's involved in a mom's group in Frisco. She did an informal survey among her Facebook friends in this group and said, what do you think is the, the biggest unmet need or uh, biggest unaddressed uh, problem among Frisco moms? And there were some choices there, one of them being depression, uh, another one of them being domestic abuse or single parent issues or prescription drug abuse and depression among Frisco moms more than tripled the responses of the other needs and issues there. As I've said uh, the last two weeks as we've gone through this series, one thing that we should appreciate about the book of Psalms is its honesty. It's just sheer honesty about life and about its problems. These, these psalms are not written from an ivory tower. They, they're not songs that were recorded in a Nashville studio. They're not just kind of empty platitudes or hallmark sentiments or just pat cliches that you say when you just don't really know what else to say. These are honest cries of a soul from people that were real people with real pain and real problems and real issues, just like me and you. And for pretty much anything we face in life, if you thumb through the 150 Psalms in our Old Testament, you can find some song that uh, expresses through words the feelings that you can't really put your finger on with words. The Bible shows people arguing with God. It shows people failing. It shows people of faith asking God, where are you? It's honest about thirst and about pain and also about sadness. And this morning we get to look at Psalm 13, a psalm of sadness. Now it ends with hope and I'll try to end this message with soap, with, with hope, not with soap, Unless I say something foolish and I need to wash my mouth out with soap, which is possible. But as we look into Psalm 13, we see some real honesty about being down and about feeling rejected by God. We see, I think, two things in Psalm 13. We see realism and then we see the psalmist resolve. We see honesty and we see hope. It was Elton John who said, sad songs say so much, right? This morning... We're going to look at a sad song. So turn with me to Psalm 13. And as you look here at David's words, Psalm 13, and it won't be on the screen, I encourage you to open up your CC app. The Bible is uh, included in that app. You can find it there if you have one of those old-fashioned Bibles that you flip pages. That will work as well. It's my bias. Yeah, I like that. So open up with me to Psalm 13, whether it's electronically or uh, the old-fashioned kind, and, and I'd love you to follow along with me as we look at this psalm. And let me, uh, again, just pray for our time as we look into this heavy passage, okay? Father God, we, uh, we look around us and we observe a broken world. We look inside of us and we observe brokenness and we feel brokenness. And God, we need you. We cry out because we don't know who else to cry to. 
And God, I pray that um, your word would work in the hearts of your people this morning, that your spirit would minister your ministry to our hearts wherever we need it this morning, whether this does not seem to be relevant to us this morning or this is exactly the sadness that we sit in this morning. God, would your spirit minister to hearts? Would you help us find joy in pain? Would you help us to find hope in the hurting? And we pray in the one whose name knows hurt, knows suffering. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. Psalm 13, look with me. Verse 1, David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And let's just stop right there and say, when is the last time that you prayed with this much honesty? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? When's the last time you prayed a prayer this honest or you were in a small group or in a church and someone prayed with this kind of desperation? When's the last time you prayed like this? And David, he's, he's giving us these words and he's, he's crying out, God, where are you? He feels rejected. Keep in mind, this is a guy that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And here he thinks that God has for, forgotten him, but it intensifies even more than that. Not only has he forgotten him, but he feels rejected by him, that God's not only forgotten him, but that he's hiding his face from him. God, you're running from me. I'm trying to find you, and you're running from me. Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? As you look in this passage, you see that his, he's lonely. He's taking counsel from himself. He's, he's searching his soul. He is alone. There's no one else with him. He has sorrow in his heart. And, and look at the extent of the sorrow that David is experiencing. He says, uh, I have sorrow in my heart all the day. This is not just kind of a momentary blip or a bad day, but this is deep anguish. This is deep sorrow. He's alone. His emotion is sad and it's extended. You read on in verses 3 and 4, you see that, that, that his emotional sadness uh, takes shape through his body as he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What is he saying? He's so downcast that he's like, God, if there is no hope, if I don't hear from you, I just want to close these tired eyes and go to sleep and never wake up. And not only is there sadness and loneliness, but there also is this idea of there's an enemy and he's getting victory over me. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. It's deep, deep pain, honest cries. It's not just here in Psalm 13. And let me say this, uh, this is David again, Psalm 13. 
And think about what we've already learned of David. If you were here last week, you looked at Psalm 63, which is also a psalm of David. And in Psalm 63, he's in a wilderness, but he's saying, God, my, my soul cries out for you as, as one in a dry and weary land. I thirst for you. My soul longs for you. And we, we talked last week about, about David's just hunger for God and that he knew that, that even in this desert wilderness experience, what he needed was not, most of all, a drink of water, but he needed more of God. He wanted God's presence. That is the saint, the same saint that wrote Psalm 63 is the same guy writing Psalm 13, feeling utterly rejected by God, abandoned by God. And it's not just here in Psalm 13 that we experience this kind of honesty about sadness through the Scriptures. I'm going to give you a sampling of some other psalms. Psalm 25, This, just listen uh, to these, Psalm 25. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Psalm 42, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why, O oh, cast down, O oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 88, listen to this one. Psalm 88, if this isn't on the brink of the edge, the brink of disaster, Psalm 88 says this, From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Psalm 31. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. And some people think the Bible is just kind of this nice platitudes and sterile and clean and all that. No. Real people, real problems, real sorrow, real abandonment, real questions. And we need to say this this morning because, quite honestly, uh, this doesn't even this doesn't go over very well, uh, even in Christian churches. I mean, unfortunately, there is so much of our Christian culture, certainly our North Texas culture, that just kind of has it all together. And you show up at church, and everything's kind of happy, clappy, and play, praise Jesus, and we all kind of look like we have it together. But on the inside, things are falling apart. And, and you don't want to admit it because you've got Jesus and you know everything should be okay, but on the inside, it's not. And so in a place like this, among brothers and sisters like this, that, that should be the context and the place of the most honesty, sometimes we can have the most plastic and distance of relationships because nobody wants to be the Debbie Downer. Nobody wants to say, man, this really hurts. But it's here. 
It's in the Bible. We have the permission to be this kind of honest about the pain of life. And some of us say, well, that's, you know, David, he's kind of a musician and artist. Those are just kind of that nature of people, you know, they're sappy and they're all, you know, that's kind of just that people. How about the apostle? <laughs> How about the apostle Paul? Turn with me, okay? Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one, and I want to share some words here from the the great apostle Paul, verses eight and nine. Look with me. Second Corinthians one eight and nine. Listen to Paul's words. Paul the missionary, Paul the apostle writes this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Man, do you hear that? We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is a guy out on a mission trip. This is a guy out doing God's work and feels the sentence of death. Now, there's hope there. There's a purpose in the pain, he says, and these things happen that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. That's the end game. And we talked about how suffering and trials, that is the crucible, oftentimes the major crucible that God uses to to change us and to transform us. Well, Paul's honest here about the pain. This week I was reading devotionally in 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians, the first and second chapter there, I realized that as Paul was ministering to the Thessalonians, he says, you accepted, you received the gospel amidst much affliction. And then he goes on a few verses later and say, I preached the gospel to you amidst much conflict. Much affliction and much conflict. And unfortunately, too often, the books that we read, the TV preachers that we watch, and the sermons that we hear just kind of uh, encourage this happy, clappy, put on the Jesus face because now that you're saved, everything is is great. And that's not the experience of David. That's not the experience of Paul. And I know it's not the experience of me. It's not the experience for many of you that sometimes life gets sad. And I'm not saying uh, this morning that this is the normal Christian life. I'm not saying that this is 365 a year. But I'm saying that this is a real part of the Christian life. I take encouragement from an old preacher. Some of you have probably heard me quote Charles Spurgeon before. Charles Spurgeon is a great preacher in London. Had what in that time was a megachurch. It would be a megachurch even today. One of the greatest preachers of, of modern history, Charles Spurgeon. It's well documented that Spurgeon uh, suffered what they called then melancholy, what we would call now depression. Spurgeon writes this, Who is there of our race that is quite free from sorrows? 
Search the whole earth through, and everywhere the thorn and thistle will be found. He writes elsewhere, Quite involuntarily, unhappiness of mind, depression of spirit, and sorrow of heart will come upon you. You may be without any real reason for grief, and yet may become among the most unhappy of men, because for the time, your body has conquered your soul. Now, in Spurgeon's day, that is really profound here, because this was before antidepressants, okay? And Spurgeon is saying here that there, you can come to a place, and probably where he was, where his chemistry, his hormones, were playing against his soul. That this was a, a bodily, physical uh, ailment that he dealt with. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. I mean, you can put on a spreadsheet, here's all the good things that are happening in my life, A, B, C, D, and you can list them, and it shouldn't equate to this feeling or this, these, these emotions that I have. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, right? I mean, I've got a good life. I've got a good family. I've got a good job, and I live in a great area, and, and my kids are, but I just have this sorrow in my heart. And for some of you, maybe it's gone on for long seasons. It doesn't add up on the spreadsheet. It doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. And sometimes it can be medical. And we have to address the medical part of it. If our, uh, if our secular friends are kind of quick on the happy pill, okay, just medicate. Just take a pill and get well. Oftentimes, the Christians or the religious people, instead of just saying medicate, they say just meditate. Just pray more. Just get in the Word more, and that'll fix it. And let me offer you this morning that medication only or meditation only, just prayer or just medicine is not the full solution that I think the Bible would prescribe. But we should say that we're physical people. And for some of us, there may come a time where to get those hormones right, to get that brain chemistry doing what it needs to do, you need to go to the, your doctor and you need to talk about some medicine. And that's okay. Too many people I, I talk to as a pastor, they, they, they don't want to go there. Uh, I've got Jesus, I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? If you've got cholesterol, high cholesterol, there's probably some natural things you could do, and you might need to get some medication. You've got heart disease. You know, you're not going to walk that off. You might need some medication. And some of the times, and some of the, times the teachers or the preachers or the, the, the Christians that, that poo-poo uh, medication, I mean, they're still taking their cholesterol meds. They don't want you to take antidepressants, but they're still taking their, their prescription drugs, still taking their Viagra, not, not, trusting, not trusting the Lord for that. We'll get some medication for that. We are physical and spiritual people. And sometimes, as, as Spurgeon says here, our body works against our soul. There's other reasons for this. Obviously, sometimes there is a, there's a, a spiritual battle going on. 
And when you're doing spiritual work, there can be a spiritual attack. For some people, it's just a, a season that you're going through, circumstantially, seasonally. There, there is just a heaviness about life because of that season. Other times, it just doesn't seem to make any sense at all. And probably the best example of that is that postpartum blues. Ah, I just, just had a child. And yet I can't deny these are the feelings that I have. For some of us, it's just grief. For others, it's prolonged grief. It's been said that grief is depression in proportion to circumstance, while depression is grief out of proportion to circumstance. Let me say that again. Grief is depression in proportion to circumstance, while depression is grief out of proportion to circumstance. No matter where you sit on this continuum this morning, here's what I want you to hear. You can be honest. The Bible and these saints of old and even saints in our own age have been honest, but sometimes it hurts. And you can cry out to God in that pain. I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm just a pastor, but I'm also someone who's not a stranger to these feelings. And seasonally through my adult life, I've, I've gotten to these places where these psalms are like, I'm feeling that. And what I want to do this morning is set the table for you and I to be honest and say, as the scriptures show us, sometimes life can be hard. Really, really hard. And I asked some friends, some friends that are even among us here this morning, to share with me a little bit about some of their experience in the darkness. So listen to these words. Some of the lies that I would believe would be that I must not be praying the right things. If I feel this way, I must not be praying the right things, or I must not have enough faith. That's a lie that a lot of us hear sometimes. Another person wrote this, the thick, dark, black cloud dissipates only to return again when I'm not expecting it. I never know how long it will linger nor how I will be able to withstand this torment one more day. But God, and only by God. As I said earlier, if there's one place that we ought to be able to be honest, if there's one place we ought to be able to be real, and it's the context of the church. It should be right here among brothers and sisters. It should be in a small group of people that love you and will be committed to you to say, this is where I am right now. And then the people in that group should be quick not to give platitudes or just simple cliches or answers, but just to sit in the pain with that person and say, I love you. Or just be silent. Because here's the thing, the only thing worse than being in the darkness is being in the darkness alone. Right? The only thing worse than being in the dark is being in the dark alone. This morning, 
as I close the message in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you um, to ask for prayer. Myself and uh, my wife and some of our elders will be back in the back as we come forward for communion. If you need to just be honest about your grief and pain this morning, I want to invite you to meet us in the back and just come for prayer. Maybe it's something small, maybe it's just a, a, a little worry, or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe you just, you just want prayer for a stress, or maybe, quite frankly, you just need to fall apart and say, it's really tough right now. And what I want to give you the freedom and encourage you this morning is just to be honest with those feelings and seek prayer this morning. As we come up for communion, you can go to the back in front of the sound booth if you'd like to be prayed for, or if you'd like to talk with someone. You feel alone. But what I want you to know through this scriptures and, and through this message this morning is that you may feel alone, but you're not alone. And this is rampant among us. This is rampant in our world. As a pastor, it's probably one of the major things that people talk with me about. being One, being disconnected from other people, relational kind of loneliness, and the second, just kind of depressive feelings. It's rampant. And if there's a place we can be honest about it and, and deal with it, it should be in the church. And unfortunately, too many times, that is not the case. He does resolve himself. He does have hope. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Some of you are like, get to the happy part. Look at verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this one, he, he ends with a resolve of faith. He's, he's confident in God's goodness. By faith, even though his experience right now tells him anything but that. One of the things that sadness and suffering do for us is they release our grip from what we want of the world. Sadness and suffering woo us to the kingdom that is to come. It smashes our idol of fulfillment in this world and helps us to anticipate the world to come, the kingdom that Jesus promised. Here's the hope in sorrow. Here's the hope in sadness this morning. Actually, two things. Number one is that in sorrow and sadness, we have a God who understands and hear me out on this. We have a God who understands because he became flesh and blood and Jesus and suffered and felt the sorrow of this world. In fact, I, Isaiah chapter 53 says he was a man acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. We don't have a God that is just a spirit we don't have a God that's just in heaven. We don't have an a idol or a God just made of stone or wood that can't possibly understand what it's like to have flesh and, and, and bones and emotion and feelings. We have a God in Jesus who came and, and felt the worst, felt the, 
the loneliness, felt the rejection, even hung on the cross and cried out Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a God, and the only God, that is, who really, literally understands human pain. Why? Because in Christ he became human. He felt our suffering. He felt our pain. He took our suffering and pain upon himself. So number one, we have a God who truly understands. And hope number two, the other hook to hang your hope upon is that we have a God who's coming again to put it all right. You know, in some sense, Christians, well, let me start with this. As Christians, our joy should be deeper than the world's joy. Why? Because we know Jesus, because we have the hope of eternal life, because we have a purpose in life. Our joy should be deeper than the world's. But also, get this, here's what I want to offer you this morning. We should also have a sadness that is, in fact, deeper than the world's. Why do I say that? Because as Christians, the, the, the cancer that we experience in the world, the brokenness that we experience in this world, should make us, in fact, sadder than others because we know what's at stake. See, if, if you're not a believer and you experience sorrow or sadness or cancer or whatever in this life, what you have to say if you're not a believer is, oh, wow, that's a bummer. Boy, that stinks. But the world's all natural and it's just there's no rhyme or reason to it, so it's just a circumstance. But since we know Jesus, we actually have a reason for the sadness to be deeper. And the reason is that sadness, that brokenness that we experience is an affront to the world that God created. We know this is not how it's supposed to be. So it's like if I had some masterpiece painting up here, some Mona Lisa or some great piece of art that everyone throughout time has said, that is, is, a, is, a, is a beautiful piece of art right there. And imagine if that were in here and we just let the kids come in here and they took watercolors and they threw mud at that paint and they just made a, a mess of that masterpiece. We would be grieved because we know that is a masterpiece. Well, the Bible teaches that this creation is God's masterpiece and his people are, are his work of, of, of art. And therefore, the, the damage to that is, is so much more grave because we know it's intended beauty. So our joy is deeper, and yet our sadness is deeper because we, we know the offense that it is to God. But on the other hand, though our sadness is deeper, it's also shorter. It's qualitatively deeper but it's quantitatively shorter. And here's what I mean. Because you could suffer 70, 80 years in this life, but guess what? Joy is coming. And it will never end. Sadness has an expiration date, but joy has no expiration date. And the truth is we can suffer, even suffer deeply, 60, 70, 80 years in this life. And 10,000 years from now, we can look back at that suffering and say somehow that suffering 
has made me worship God in a way and to a degree that I wouldn't worship God in eternity if I hadn't known that brokenness. 10,000 years from now, our sadness will look like this compared to the joy that awaits us in eternity. I can't fix your sadness this morning. I can't heal your depression with a prayer. But here's what I can do is I can offer you hope that this ain't all there is. And we have a God that understands and we have a God that's coming back to bring a perfect kingdom to this earth. And if you trust Jesus, you have that hope. Hope in him, hope in a kingdom to come. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, again, we just want to be honest and say often there is deep pain. For some of us, even this morning, pain, hurt, loneliness. But we, God, God, we thank you that we don't have to find our joy in something in this life, but we can find our joy in your goodness and your kingdom to come. And we know that we are never hopeless because of Jesus. God, I pray right now for my friends my brothers and sisters, some of whom I know are in sadness or in turmoil, I pray that you would give them the courage even this morning to confess that, to cry out to you, to ask for prayer this morning so that your body, your spirit might fill that space and give them hope. God, I pray it in the name of the one who knows our sadness, who knows our grief, who experienced it on this earth and on our behalf. I pray it in the beautiful name of Jesus, our hope. Amen.